This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. First, I want to thank all of you who joined me last week on, actually, I guess I guess when you be getting this, it'll be 10 days ago, um, for a live performance that I did on Zoom. It has meant the world to me that so many of you have shown up for book events and stand-up on Zoom, and it's been nice to just feel like I can still do a portion of my job. So thank you for being there and for donating. I was able to pay artists of all kinds throughout the pandemic. I've been able to pay all of the um, authors who wanted to be paid on uh, all the panels I did for book events. I was able to donate to indie booksellers and also separately to employees um, of indie booksellers and unions. I've been able to donate to theaters, um, specifically the Lincoln Lodge in Chicago and also Dynasty Typewriter here in Los Angeles. And that is all because y'all have made a bunch of donations via Venmo and PayPal. And um, I just wanted to say thanks. It's been really wonderful. Today's episode is a chat with Chastin Buttigieg. Um, Chastin is a human being in his own right and also the husband of former presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg. Chastin has a new book that is out for pre-order. I believe it is called I Have Something to Tell You. And we had a great conversation. I hope that you enjoy it. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on. Darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. So I always have guests introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? Oh, okay. Um... Uh, sure, I'm uh, Chastin Glesman Buttigieg. Uh, I I grew up in Traverse City, Michigan. Uh, currently live in South Bend, Indiana. I'm, I'm a middle school teacher, but I'm I'm probably most well known for being the husband uh, of Pete Buttigieg, who recently ran for president. I have even just in your intro, I have so many follow up questions. Yeah. What is what is your? You said your. Um, your last name prior to being married. What is it? You said it a second ago. Uh, Glesman. I felt like it was very easy on the campaign trail to just be like Buttigieg, you know? I was going to um, ask about that, actually. Is, is now that where it's you over, already... I feel like I can... Yeah. Well, I... Um, you have to jump through a lot of legal hoops anyway. Um, and I wanted to uh, take Peter's last name. I wanted to add it on. But I felt like it would be hard on the campaign trail to have, like, two difficult last names um but now that you know we're done with the campaign and i can you know i sort of reasserting myself i can i feel like i can start in some professional ways to use both my names i don't know it's a weird thing i've had so many conversations about last names in the last year have you i did uh, just in what context tell me well some people um seem like worried for me like were you forced to take his last name so you had the same last name because he was running for president? But I I had always just thought, like, I want our kids to have the same last name and I really like Buttigieg, which is probably weird uh, to some people. But um, And there's a lot of family history with my last name. But um, I would meet people who were like, why did you take his last You know, Why don't you keep your own name? Or, you know, folks who had, like, many different opinions about what my name should be. Um, and I, for me, like I had never put that much thought into it. It was like, Oh, I think when we get married, I'll just tack on Buttigieg to my name. Cause I like it. But I think for some people, there's like a stronger sense of identity, you know, related to your name. Well, it also is a special, you know, it's a different conversation for folks in the queer community because, uh, um, I mean, both of my siblings are straight and they are both married and neither of them has taken their husband's last name. But, um, you know, so then therefore that's the conversation. I mean, I also have an aunt who didn't take her husband's last name, who's, you know, like whatever age she is, 
67. And so like at the time, at the time that that was happening, it was like, (laughs) hello dogs. Yeah. But at the time that was happening, it was so bonkers. People were like, what does this mean? You know, but (laughs) for folks in the queer community, it's, um, it's, I mean, I don't know the statistics, but I would say just using like a, a snapshot of my friends, maybe it's more rare to take the last name than to not. Oh, I think although, it is. For although sure. I certainly yeah. have friends who have. Um, and I, you know, I guess for a bunch of reasons, but you, you said you wanted to tack it on. You wanted to have your, you know, your kids yeah. have your last name. And I guess also, I don't know. I, so I'm divorced, but when I was married, it was, It did feel like, I don't know, I can't get the Catholic and the traditional <laughs> upbringing like rinsed out of me, no matter how many times I may try. And so I did not take uh, my spouse's, my ex-spouse's last name and neither did they take mine. Um, but I, I did, I loved the idea of being married and I, I did even like um, Mrs., which was a surprise to me with my haircut and like clothing style. <laughs> what do you mean? I just think like, I think uh, some of that stuff feels so heteronormative that I oh, feel yes. like where's yeah. the place for me in there? You know, like right. where's the place for me to be a missus? But then I found myself surprised. Um, did you always know you wanted to be a married person? Yes. And was like, there... Oh, go ahead. Like growing, yeah, no, I just felt like growing up, like I, the only sure things I knew I wanted was like family and, um, well, obviously like stability and security, but like I would find those things through like love and family and raising children. Uh, I grew up Catholic as well. Um, and I, I mean, I have such a deeply connected, large family Um, And I always just knew, like, I want that. I want my kids to, like, be surrounded by, like, tons of family. And I just always knew I wanted to be a dad. And then, um, you know, when I started realizing that I was gay, I thought for a long time, like, well, what am I supposed to do with my life? Because clearly I'm never going to be able to get married. Um, You know, thinking this, like, when I was much younger, like, I'll never be able to get married. I'll never fall in love. Like, you know, those things just seem so impossible to attain. And so for a long time, I just was like, well, what am I going to do? Because my my goal, my dream is to just like be loved and have a family. And I just thought those things were, you know, unavailable to me. When did that switch? When did that change that you thought maybe it would be available to you? Well, I mean, I came out and started obviously like gaining confidence in myself and realize like, oh, well, you know, through like boyfriends, you're like, oh, well, someone could love me, right? But we still didn't have the right to marry in it. And it just watching, you know, the political landscape in our country was like, well, this might not ever be like a real thing. Um, and then, you know, growing older and, and once, you know, I left college and um, was in a pretty uh, a long relationship, you know, felt like, oh, well, I could, I could make this work, you know, at least in a partnership, this, this could be an opportunity. And like, I never met like gay couples with kids until I left Northern Michigan um, and left uh, college, I think, where I really saw other people and was like, oh, well, they can have it. They, they're, they're making it happen. Maybe I could make that happen as well. Yeah. When you said, cause you just used the phrase real thing did you mean you weren't sure if marriage would be a real thing or you weren't sure if the relationships that you were in would look like what you wanted initially does that make sense yeah, the well, distinction I'm asking about yeah absolutely well I just think like a, a like a real thing as in like a possibility in life for me because I yes. had never seen yeah. it uh, I had never seen it before you know I had never seen like a gay couple like pushing a stroller together and had and been like oh they're making it work. They have the dream that I think I want, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I really had to, I had to leave Northern Michigan. I went to school in Northern Wisconsin, which wasn't necessarily, you know, a, a gay Mecca. 
Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then I moved to Milwaukee right after college where, you know, that was where a lot of awakenings happened. It's like, oh, you know, people, people here like making it work. And like I saw and made friends who were like adopting kids and, you know, um, at that time were like in civil unions or just in long-term partnerships where I actually saw the life I thought I wanted for myself um, modeled in front of me. And you were, were you a teacher at the time? In Milwaukee? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I studied theater in, in undergrad um, and uh, went, went uh, right to Milwaukee after undergrad to teach at a children's theater. Um, it was a world that I so desperately wanted to be in um, and, and got offered a job uh, at this great children's theater in Milwaukee. And then they, you know, hired me to be in their education department as well. It was like two different things, like an academy and then an education department that like went out into Milwaukee public schools and taught theater courses. And that's where I like really fell in love with being in the classroom all day. Stan, I have a question about that because I think you and I might be a similar-ish age. I might be a little older. I think I'm your husband's age. Are you, how old are you? Do you mind my asking? I'm 30. You're 30. He's 38. Yeah. yeah, so I'm your husband's age. So I'm a little older than you, actually. So maybe this isn't as much of a consideration. Wow, because that is actually a very good big gap. I'm because here's what I'm going to ask: like, for somebody yeah. that's talking about what you're talking about, a Catholic person um, doesn't see necessarily queer couples around them having what they might imagine for the family they want for themselves. Then going into teaching, but this might not be true for you. But it would have been true for you if you were 38. Um, <laughs> Something that that we don't talk about a lot anymore as a community is how much, like prior to marriage equality, the big fight that was happening, so this is like after the AIDS crisis, the next big fight was constantly about uh, about um, protecting children. Like we went from, um, like that's just, that's just the way everybody, and this, but this by the way is how people are justifying um, anti-trans inclusive bathroom bills. Like that's that thing that we see now of like, what if my child has to pee next to somebody that they've definitely already peed next to? Because like, for sh- like there's just enough trans people in the world that's like true, you know? Um, right. But I'm thinking about you at that point, making a decision to go into the classroom and that that also would have been somewhere you might've been, if you were a little older, you might've been encouraged to stay in the, in the closet. And I don't know if that, was true for you? Like, what was your experience about that? Yeah. So my, I think I was lucky in that I pursued education in, uh, theater. Um, honestly, straight up does not matter. That's what's so funny is like, well, I I guess I should say like the setting I went into, I was surrounded by people like an administration, like people who made me feel like it was okay to be myself. Right. But that being said, I don't think I was out in the classroom. So, and, and at that time I was teaching in the academy, I was teaching third and fourth grade theater classes. Um, and then, you know, out in Milwaukee Public Schools, I was K through 12. But um, I don't think I, I don't think I was really like open with my sexuality until I moved to South Bend. And that was just because people knew who I was. And, and then be- I'll follow up on that in a moment. Yeah. But- that's what's so interesting about just what you were talking about that you didn't see older queer folks who might have a life that you want it, that there was a really um, beautiful, you know, chef's kiss uh, catch 22 that was happening when, and this still happens that like, especially at religious institutions where if teachers are out, that puts their job at risk. But while there are queer students that are like, the only adults I know are my parents and my teachers, you know, and so right. so helpful if teachers could be a little bit more free about who they were because yeah. it would, you know, fill in some of those gaps. But I've gotten to know um, a few teachers, like high school teachers, like after the fact, like I've come back to Traverse City and I, you know, especially on the campaign, like did some events and stuff and um, have gotten to know some teachers. Um, I never had their class in, in high school, but um, I knew of them. And since I've graduated, they've come out. And I don't think we've ever like really been able to like dive into 
um, what that meant for them as well. But for me, I remember harboring this like animosity, not towards them, but just like towards society. Like if you would have been out, like that would have done so much more for me. But unfortunately we all were living in a society in this like bubble in rural Michigan where none of us felt like we could be who we were. Like you were probably afraid of losing your job. Um, and I can't just imagine like what it would have meant to me is this like closeted, terrified teenager looking around and not seeing anybody like me. Yeah. Um, what it, what it would have meant to just have a teacher who is gay and modeling like a loving relationship and success and, you know, just being happy by being themselves. And I never got that. And I was really upset. Like they never got to be themselves in front of their students either. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I worked in a, I worked in education, um, I thought I was going to be a social worker before, like I was doing, I was already doing comedy and I just was like, some people are comedy social workers. That's not true. Nobody is that. But um, <laughs> I, I worked in education and I worked at a high school for a while and I didn't realize till I had that job that like, also as a, as somebody who's staff, you know, I mean, not everyone, but you know, who's queer. Like you also know the kids who are queer and it would have been so like, there was this one awesome kid that I really liked and I so wished I could have um you know figured out how to have that conversation that's like I I think I see something that's going on you know so it's it's just a like I never thought of it when I was when I would when I would look back at my high school I would be like man I guess I was gay the whole time but no one had any idea and now I'm like I'm pretty sure some people had some had some uh, information (laughs) right um but you said Oh, go ahead. No, it's just, you know, I um, uh, uh, wrote this book and as I'm like going through photos and like writing about high schools, like people knew, right? Like people <laughs> knew, like these photos of me, like in the theater department and, you know, I just, it was like, come on, you guys are lying to me. Like you, you definitely knew. You must hear from those people now. That must be something that happens to you. Constantly. Yeah, you know, I've... Um, from high school? From any other time in your past. I feel like um, my husband's running for president is <laughs> one of those times yeah. where you're probably getting a lot of those, hey, you, we went to something together or whatever. Right. Yeah. I, um, I appreciated most of them. Um, they were mostly like DMs, like, holy shit, your husband's running for president. Like, yeah, it's crazy, right? Um, and that's kind of it. Uh, you know, sometimes you see people post like, my really good friend, Justin, um, you know, is doing this thing. Like, I can't believe, like, you know, my good friend, Justin is doing this. Like, weren't you that guy who like made fun of me in gym class? You know, but um, in writing the book, I had, to, I, I reached out to friends um, and just wanted to like, clarify what I felt with them, especially friends who, you know, now um, have come out since high school being like, this is how I felt. Is this how you felt? You know, because I, I don't think I'm necessarily very kind to uh, high school and in, in, in my time at school in the book, um, just being, you know, as raw and truthful as possible about what I was experiencing and wanted to talk to other friends, be like, what was that true for you? Um, and those conversations have been more meaningful for me. So you were like checking your, your memory essentially. Yeah, it's, um, that's one of the fact checks that I'm, you know, I just, I lived my entire life with all of these ideas and opinions about what I experienced and what happened to me. And, you know, I have conversations with my dad or my parents about, stories from my childhood or, you know, clarifying with friends, like, remember when like people used to drive their trucks to school with the Confederate flag, like waving from the background, like that was like, that happened a lot, right? That wasn't just like some weird memory I have. And, you know, talking with friends, like, yeah, like that's, that was insane. That like kids just like openly and freely, like felt emboldened to just like fly these racist symbols at our school and then we went to school and it wasn't a thing like I can't imagine being a teacher now like if a student you know was walking through the halls uh, of our school with this racist symbol on their t-shirt or their you know belt buckle as it was in in high school 
like for me being a teacher, like I'd have to call that out. Be like, I, you know, this, this thing happened and we need to talk about that and what that means to people in our school and our community, what that symbol represents. Right. But I think I just grew up in a, in a place where like people were like, I love country music and I'm a Republican. So I fly the Confederate flag because I'm, you know, this, this, this country boy. And like, I don't even think they understood what they were doing. And, um, and that was weird to like go back and just think about being a product of that environment, just growing up in this bubble where people thought that was okay. And I had to leave, I had to go to college to like figure that out, you know? You also used the phrase, what, what happened to me? You were like checking to see what happened to me. Um, do you want to, in any like scope that you want to, what, what did happen to you? Using a phrase like that, it, that, it, that yeah. it, 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 um, it just denotes some level of, of, of uh, trauma. And hey, by the way, me too. Me too, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what did well, I, I mean, there was a lot of, you know, if I can take a step back, I remember um, catching up with friends like two or three years ago. I was like in DC with some college friends and um, one of my best friends from high school. Uh, we were just getting drinks and they were reminiscing about, um, you know, the younger years. And, and I said something uh, to my friends. One of them is a um, therapist of sorts. Good friend to have. And I was like, I don't remember a lot from high school. And I think like, I, it, like, it was so traumatic for me that I've just blocked it out. Like people talk about like the parties and the ragers and like who is dating who and like, the Friday night football games. And like, I can't remember practically anything. And the things I do remember vividly um, weren't great. And, uh, you know, my, I think my last three years, um, I was just so terrified of everybody finding out, you know, this truth about me that like, that was the only thing I focused on was like, just blend in, just hide, you know? And so some of the really scary things were like getting picked on in gym class in the locker room. Right. Absolutely terrified of like what, what these, these boys were capable of. Um, and then like, just so recently just checking in with friends, like, so, I remember getting a lot of taunts and a lot of like homophobic epithets thrown at me. Like, was that your experience? You know, cause I felt like when I was watching other kids who were like being picked on for just being, you know, just being othered. Right. Like if we, if we walked a little bit differently or we presented a little bit differently or, you know, like anybody who just presented differently was picked on. And I, I checked in with some of my queer friends just like, was it that bad for you too? Like, we've never talked about it, right? Like, what was walking those high school hallways like for you? Because for me, they were hell. And I don't remember much. I don't remember much from, from my time at school other than, like, being terrified most of the time. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like maybe in some ways we had similar experiences. In some ways, they were really different. Because I had this wild, I had this wild version of that where in a lot of ways I was like very accepted in high school. I was like very well liked and I was dating the captain of the football team. And I think on the outside, it would have seemed, I know, I know. Uh, I think on the outside, I know, I think, but I was also like the mascot of the football team. Like things were, things were, it was an unusual story. (laughs) Um, But I think things were, I think on the outside, things probably looked okay. Um, so when I was writing a book, I didn't like have so many people, I think to like check with, I think I had to check with myself because I think that the terrorizing was like stuff that maybe had started earlier for me. Like when I was a little kid and people were patrolling my body, but I think it's because they were actually patrolling my gender. It just kind of came out sideways. Um, and then 
the way that I started to deal with that, which was just being so hard on myself all the time. So if I was going to some of the parties, I was like a nervous wreck the whole time. Um, and then I think about that history, who I am, and then going, you know, choosing the career that I have chosen. And in some ways, there's an enormous amount of power in being like, oh, you're not sure whether like I'm okay or not as a human. Well, I will become like famously gay and I will, you'll have to listen to me and I will be, yeah, you know, and I will be, um, and I will be directing the conversation and that's true and real and helpful. Like there was a point in my life when that was very helpful. I think about, I'm asking, I'm like, I'm thinking about, you know, somebody with this story and then you're, and then you are, I'm assuming in your relationship, you had a conversation before your husband decided to run for president that he didn't just oh, like, of course. you yeah. know, pull that <laughs> off in the night. Um, yeah. So, you know, then choosing to do something where you're like, actually what I'm going to do is like be so strong in my truth. And that's amazing. But there's another side of it too, in my experience, which is that I got, because of my job, I have gotten like praise, acceptance, and love from strangers that I would never have received if I chose a different job. But I also have been patrolled and in a lot of ways like re-traumatized because of my job, you know, especially by like, say, uh, men who do my job and are homophobic or whatever it is, some heckle from the audience that sounds like the voice inside my own head. And I'm wondering about if that, if that experience rings true at all for you, where you're like, oh my God, I never thought I could feel this amazing, awful, you know, like, it's like because it's, <laughs> it's yeah. you know, it's a lot of that stuff that I craved and wished for. And it comes with another side. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was both terrifying and freeing at the same, at the same time, because uh, yeah, in a way, um, you know, I had dealt with a lot and um, was just one so proud of Peter and proud of the country and just like seeing the two of us on the cover of Time magazine. I didn't know we were going to be on the cover of Time magazine. Um, like I remember sitting down for the interview, which was mostly just like me literally sitting in the room. Um, and then like that was over, you know, we were doing a million interviews and then like, bam the magazine came out, we were on the cover of it. And it, how did you find out? Hang on. I just want to pause you for one second. How did you find out? Twitter. They they mailed. Okay, great. Continue. (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, I saw it on like Instagram or Twitter. Yeah. And someone was like, holy cow, look at this, you know? And I believe it was the first time in history of Time Magazine that um, a gay person was on the couple without like the word queer or lesbian or gay. And it, it was just, um it just said first family like anytime a queer person had been on the cover it was drawing attention to their queerness um and for me it was like wow like how did i go from you know there were a lot of like eh, like life flashing before your eyes you know moments on the campaign you're like how did i get here like how is this possible and um that meant a lot to me um because i you know there were many times as a teenager, um, like I just never thought I was going to make it. And, um, you know, and then I fell in love with somebody who actually loved me for, for me and life changed very rapidly. And then boom, <laughs> that meant a lot to me. But then, <laughs> and you and I have talked about this a little bit, but, uh, you know, I'd go out on the campaign trail and these people would protest me and taunt me and mock me. and um, you know, refuse to shake my hand um, and say really nasty things about me uh, to my face or, or online simply because of my existence, right? Um, and to think like I went through all of that uh, only to be rejected by, <laughs> only to be rejected again, right? Like, of course, like if you're going to go into politics, <laughs> it's better to just go out knowing like assuming like, okay, half the people hate me already. So like, don't like, don't try to be perfect and not like, don't be 
upset or frustrated when like someone says something mean to you because like you can expect about, you know, half the people won't like you. <laughs> um, right. But then when it would come from a place so personal as like, I just don't like you because you're gay uh, was, yeah, a little re-traumatizing. Like, oh man, like I'm putting myself out here. There are all these amazing days. You meet these people, they share like these extremely vulnerable stories with you about what the campaign has meant to them or, you know, what the cover of that magazine, just the visibility of it meant to them. And then you, but you also meet that one guy like on the parade route who is going to keep yelling things at you until you, you know, rounded the corner. Right. Um, Cause he refuses to accept that, you know, you're an equal human being. Yeah. I mean, when you say we talked about this a little bit, we were on your Instagram live and we were talking yeah. in um, a person commented cause we, cause, cause you and I, um, because you and I shook hands when you were, uh, acting as a surrogate for your husband and marching in a small town parade in New Hampshire, which is yeah. where my girlfriend was from. I was there visiting her family and we went to this parade. I'd never been to New Hampshire before during primary season. I didn't know that the small town parade where the town band plays. And then they like are advertising <laughs> pancakes that you can get at like the diner. Then actual <laughs> Bernie Sanders was there. Um, massive street teams for all the candidates and you were also um, marching yeah. in the parade and I like laser beamed you with my gay eyes and you came across the way <laughs> and um, and it was I have to say it was um, you know it was like it was really my my privilege I felt very I felt very emotional shaking your hand because my goodness I um I just, I appreciated the on the ground work that, that your visibility was doing for our community. And also the reason that we were addressing this is because somebody was talking about um, folks perhaps responding to you a certain way on the road because of your husband's platform. And, you know, I will just say, you know, personally, I would always love for the Democratic Party to be moving further left. And I also know that it is one thing to be like challenged by our own community, because I feel I, I have received tons of feedback throughout my career. Some of it is coming from the queer community or for folks who want me to do a better job of like being aware, you know, and, um, and also like my being more aware doesn't necessarily keep me safer if I'm like meeting folks after a show, like I have to have security, um, which not all comics have to have. Um, but I have to have security because I have been threatened with physical violence more than one time, um, by folks after shows. So it's just like a, there's a weird Oh, thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have too on the, on the campaign trail. I just think it's, there's a weird thing going on where it's trying to understand how to balance like respecting folks speaking up and holding people accountable, but also yeah. acknowledging that like there's a thing going on here that, that it's tough to be the one to, it's, t it's tough to be, that it's tough to deal with. And, and many people yeah. in this country from marginalized communities feel a threat of physical violence walking down the street, whether we're in a parade route or not. Right. There were, there were multiple times like in that parade where like campaigning is just like sitting in the middle of a blender. Like the world is moving so rapidly around you. It's just so fast all the time. And then sometimes I would be, it's like my consciousness was plucked out of this like tornado and I would like, see myself in that moment and you know you're you're running down the street and you're like high-fiving people and shaking hands and they're like hi i'm justin my my husband pete's running for president i hope we can count on your vote and you're saying it like a thousand times like over and over again right like you're handing out stickers and you're like taking selfies and then like like pop like i'm out of my consciousness i'm looking down at myself like walking down this parade route and thinking like maybe somebody knew i was going to be here today and they hate my husband and they'll shoot me because the easiest way to get to a candidate is through their spouse. 
and then I'd like go right back into like, oh, oh, shake that thought away, right? Like, gotta, gotta do the thing. And there were so many moments on the campaign trail where I just thought about like, <laughs> and, I, and some of these people would come to our events and they, you know, they would taunt us or, or mock us or, you know, say things to us just thinking like, is it, is this worth it? Out of all the goodness that Peter could bring to this country, is it worth being out here because someone might kill me, you know? And, um, and then you'd get feedback from people in your own community saying like, you don't do enough. You're not enough. And it, you know, I would think about like, not only like the work that we were doing, but just like, it is hard sometimes to be in that position, as you know, like where people are threatening your life simply because you exist and then to get feedback from people that you would count on for safety and acceptance. And I'm saying like, mm, if only you were more, if only you were, um, if only you were better. And for me, like I sometimes just struggled with that. It's like, I, you know, I'm just, I am who I am and that I, I can't fake anything because I want people to I want people to get to know me from me and if they like me then they like me and if they don't like me well then at least they don't you know they, they don't like the actual me not like some version of myself <laughs> that I have you know presented to the American people um and yeah that 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 could be frustrating sometimes um especially when like you have to have security you know yeah I do I hear you Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I think I think this is something that our I think this is something I think what we're talking about is something that a lot of folks in our community are navigating which is like this to me when I look at what is if I like zoom back and I look at what's happening in the LGBTQ community one of the biggest things that I think is happening right now is that like there is a necessary need to like scoot our focus to the most marginalized in our community. Like that is, that's true and real. And then there's also a need to, I think perhaps anticipate that everybody in the queer community has already experienced trauma. So it's, it's like, how do we hold people accountable? And like, <laughs> and, uh, recognize and navigate the the shared trauma that we all have as like a community and as a family. I, and I, I don't have the answers to this. You know, this is part of why like the beginning of this podcast has a sort of recorded disclaimer where I talk about sometimes people use words on here to describe themselves that you wouldn't use for yourself. And it's to like anticipate a bunch of feedback where folks are saying like this part of the show didn't work for me. This part of the show didn't work for me. Um, I I still like receiving that feedback, but I wonder sometimes if we wouldn't get further um, turning some of the feedback onto actions we can do ourselves. So if you're noticing that another member of your community is doing something that you don't like, um, actually taking action as opposed to or in concert with providing feedback. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, I like, like, I like, for instance, if people are um, telling me 
like I'll just give a this this doesn't really well somebody telling me like a joke that I might have is not as um inclusive of like say a person of color or a trans person I don't speak on behalf of those folks I try to speak from my own perspective please become a comic and tell those jokes so that I can hire you to open for me so that you can speak in your own voice. And by the way, I will always try to be as inclusive of, of my community as I can, but I can't speak for everybody. I can only speak for myself. Yeah. And what I would love is, is for more people to, um, for instance, yeah. register to vote. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Uh, I, uh, yeah, that, that resonates with me. They were, you know, when we, when I made the choice to like leave teaching, join the campaign trail, I'm a full-time surrogate and, you know, wound up doing a lot of work on my own. So spent a majority of the campaign away from Peter. Um, I, I spent most of my time in the LGBTQ community. Um, folks who um, work in like homelessness, uh, like service providers, um, shelters, I uh, spent a lot of time with teachers um, and then the arts. So th all things that had touched, touched my life in some way. So, um, like when I was 17, I ran away from home, like slept on my couch or not my, um, like friends' couches, floors, slept in the back of my car for a little bit. But my story had a really good ending. I got to go back home. My parents called me home. Like they, they were terrified for me, had no idea like what being gay meant. Um, but they, they did not like the fact that I was, you know, out there sleeping in my car, you know, sleeping at friends' houses because I was so scared. So I decided like, you know what, I'm just going to go speak to people who share similar stories with mine because that's what I, that's what I know I can talk about. Like I'm not a politician, but I want, I want to go talk to people who have something, we have a little something in common because then I, I feel like I, at least when I'm like being vulnerable, I can, I can relate to them. Right. And I, you know, toured and visited over like a hundred LGBTQ centers and, and homeless service providers and specifically sought out ways that I could meet with people who had experiences very different than my own, especially in our own community. So I would go places and like meet with trans women of color who had been kicked out of their home uh, or were like climate refugees, like a hurricane come through, they'd be bussed over to like Houston. And now I'm listening to their stories about navigating the system or sitting down with like teenagers who had run away from home or been kicked out of their home and they're, you know, living uh, in the shelter because while we have a little something in common, I don't know I have never lived life through, you know, their perspective and I want to hear their perspective and would go there and say like, just talk to me, just tell me everything so that, you know, when we go to Washington, I can bring your story with me. Um, and then I get feedback from the community saying like, you don't care about fill in the blank. And it would be really hard for me to be like, well, you don't see all this work I'm doing because I'm not being followed around by CNN. Like I don't take a press pool with me everywhere I go because I'm more invested in the work. And like, maybe you're just not paying attention to the work I'm doing, but like to be like accused of not caring about people in my own community was sometimes that was really hard because one, I was out there trying to do my best to like learn and to listen and to show up. Um, but, but not everyone saw that work. So then they would just accuse me of not caring. Um, I, don't, I don't know. It was uh kind of like a vicious feedback loop, um, which always pushed me to like, want to do more, go more places, listen to more stories, like try to do the best job I could do as a surrogate to show people like what was in our campaign's heart, what was in the policy, you know? And, um, but then again, like there's sometimes it's never going to be enough. Um, and that's a, that's a hard lesson to learn sometimes. Sure. Well, I would also imagine <laughs> I would also imagine that there might be um, some times that you have disagreed with your husband's choices, his record or his platform, just because I'm assuming that as a married couple, you are not the same person, um, but instead different. I appreciate that. But instead separate <laughs> people. Um, yeah. And I guess I'm, I'm wondering, like, it, everybody, not... This is part of this is part of many friendships. This is part of many um, relationships. The idea that that you are that you might be navigating some differences, but then you know yours is like um, like a 
like a level 10 example of something that maybe some other folks might be experiencing elsewhere? Because I, I would imagine you can't really publicly disagree with him. Um, maybe you can, I don't know. But I'm just wondering like what what you do to stay... Well, like for instance, I noticed you call him Peter often, oh, especially yeah. when you're speaking about him in uh, an affectionate way. Because there was there were other a couple other times when, you, when we've been talking to use, use Pete, and it seemed to be more when you were talking about him like out here. But it seems like Peter might be what you call him when you're talking about him as your husband. Yeah. And is that true? Yeah, it's funny. Like, you is that up like an that. affectionate? Thing? Yeah, people Peter. always call me out on that. It's just, uh, I got to know him as Peter, like his family and his friends call him Peter. Mm-hmm. But then like whenever I was talking about him, like in a political sense, like everyone yeah. knows him as Pete, right? right? And so there's almost like two different, two different Pete and Peters, right? Well, like, I would imagine that's necessary. I mean, yeah. who would want to be in a relationship where um, everybody gets Peter? <laughs> you would you would want there to be something for you. And he, right. sure he would want there to be something for him. Um but how how have you been able to navigate putting this much pressure on a relationship? Like what, hmm. just, just in terms of some maybe lived experience that you could share. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother hour, right? Um, oh, I'm sorry. We only have, <laughs> so you're just going to have to really wrap it up, but nail it. And if you fuck <laughs> this up I, and, and marriages end because of this, I'm going to be <laughs> pissed. That's campaigning, right? They're like, um, let me ask you a question about a really nuanced topic that would yep. require about 30 to 45 minutes of discussion so we could really get into it. And can you only give us one sentence? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I think um, we did really well on the campaign trail because um, we set really firm boundaries. Uh, and this is hard to, I, I just don't like giving other people relationship advice, but, um, it doesn't have to be advice. They were, That's why I said lived experience. No, I, yeah. Sometimes well, I guess they, then... There were times when I would be like, I'm done. I don't want to talk about running for president. I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to hear a word about other candidates or debates. Um, you know, like I'm going to eat my ice cream. I'm going to watch Netflix. And like, you can join me or you can go to a different room, but like, I'm taking a break because like, I'm not a politician and politics isn't my life. Like Peter lives and breathes this stuff, right? Like he could campaign for 18 hours and then like want to read the New York times before going to bed. Like I can campaign for 18 hours and then I'm going to like watch Parks and Rec. Like I, like I had to set boundaries and he was extremely respectful of that. And there were a couple of times on the trail when I was like, you know what? I, th- I think I know like you really need me to like join you in Iowa. But I think what I need for myself is to go home. Like I, would, I need to go home for 48 hours and I need to like see my dogs and sleep in my own bed and take care of my own mental health. Um, and he was always very supportive of that and um, was really good at checking in on how I was doing not as a surrogate, but how I was doing as his husband. Because most of it, like I said, was spent apart. Like I would, I do these like three, four state days and they were exhausting. And I would be like, you know, doing these fundraisers and forums and like talking about him nonstop all day and like answering questions about him and his policies and his platforms and like what his White House would look like. And at the end of the day, it was like, I have to turn that world off and I have to like take care of me in a way. And like now that we're back home, we still have sort of a, an understanding of like, we have to check in with one another more often than I think we're, we're used to doing. Cause he's like working on a lot of things right now. And, and you know, I'm not working on as many things, but it's like, how are you feeling today? And like, what do you, what do you need from me? And I think that's the most powerful thing you can ask, like your friends, people you love, and even your spouse, like, how can I help? Right. And sometimes it's like, can you please give me some space? And sometimes that's like, I just need you to hold me and I need to, you know, I, I need to let it all out for, for a few minutes. And, um, I, I don't know to, to, to answer your question, maybe a little bit more about like campaigning. It was like, I wouldn't have 
gone out on the campaign trail and have been so visible if I didn't believe in him. If I, if I didn't want the same things that he did, like the, the vision for the future of our country that he did. In many ways, I don't think he got enough credit for the progressive things he was putting forward. He wasn't the furthest left in the race, but um, you know, there were many times I'd have to like answer questions that weren't really questions. They were statements about a person's opinion about my husband and have to do it in a way where I would remind that person, like, I am a human being and my husband is a human being and we want what's best for, for this country too. Um, but doing it in a way that was always rooted in love because of Tim and what I, what I loved more was talking about him than talking about like the economy. <laughs> uh, I was also, uh, you know, more qualified to talk about him and all of the things that I love about him rather than talking about like foreign relations and, you know, um, whatever the topic of the day was. Um, and as a surrogate, it's also easy to be like, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not running for president next, <laughs> you know, like check out the website. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't have all the answers to your questions, but I'm standing in front of you willing to try. And I'm willing to try because, um, you know, I love my husband so much and, um, yeah, I don't know. Does that help? <laughs> it does. Katie, it's, you can come get it. Microphone is just texting me that she needs the iPad. That is definitely next to me. You can come get it. It's right here. Um, it does. You know, um, it's interesting as you're talking, I'm thinking about like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's also wild just because the, um, the the democratic spouses that we think of as surrogates over the over um the part of my life that i have been like aware of politics um are such like bonkers high educated highly educated capable people in their own right and um not so much the current first lady. Um, but, but, uh, some other, so I'm also just imagining the situation that you would find yourself in and, um, the questions that may have been asked of you that, uh, it just feels like, a, like just yeah. education wise, life experience wise, oh jobs gosh. one has held wise. It just feels like a, <laughs> it's like, uh, it just feels like Hillary Clinton and Michelle Obama just on those things alone those would be tough acts to follow. So yeah, people would always imagining like that moment. Start their questioning, like, you know, Michelle Obama had like her let's move initiative and she was really focused on like healthy children. What would your initiative be? And it's always like, Oh my God, why do you have to remind me of Michelle Obama? It's like, she's so amazing. But also like the questions that would come from people that were like so gendered, and it was like, you know, Michelle Obama did not occupy that office for eight years for you to ask me, like, why I was so excited to pick out the China. I, was, like, I we, knew it was going to go China. I knew it was going to go like, China. Can we talk about, like, the amazing things that the women who have held that office have done for this country? Um, but then right. also being put in that, like, right in between, right? They're like, we had Michelle Obama. Now we have this person. Um, you know, like, what are you going to do? And for, yeah, like Michelle Obama and Hillary Clinton were so accomplished and also had many more years under their belt when they went into that office. Yes. Just of like lived experience also yes. in their profession and their relationship. Um, and, and that was very intimidating. Um, yeah, you were a very young person when this was happening to you. If you are 30 years old right now, yeah. Um, when you were making this risk, not happening to yeah. you, you were participating in this willingly. Um, <laughs> right. I, I have like a, I have a follow up that, sure. and then I and then I think we'll maybe just I think our time might be up. But I the follow up that I wanted to ask is, I'm 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 betting you know that that we will see you and your husband at other times in the future. Um, 
And something that, that felt really important for me to ask is how would you want folks to approach you with feedback, especially folks within the community? Because it sounds like you want to know Absolutely. What people are experiencing. It sounds like um, it sounds like you have an openness there. It also sounds like some of it may have been some of the do you have any do you have any thoughts on how you would want folks to approach you, how you would want folks to engage and give you the information about who they are representing? Well, you know, it's it's like if you're approaching someone yelling, like that might put them in a bad place right away. Right. So like someone would like get in my face, like finger in my face or like literally pushing into my chest, you know, with every other word, like, you know, this is how you have failed. This is why I think you're so privileged. This is why I think you're a failure to the community, you know, and, and that immediately puts you in this, this place where you're like, um, you know, one, you're afraid of your physical safety Two you know, someone is coming at you so angrily and you're wondering, like, how did I get you into this position? Like, how can I help? How do I disarm you? How do I make you aware that I want to help? I want to listen. But that's a, a rough way to start a conversation. And I think about this kid. Um, I was in New Hampshire and um, we were like writing letters to teachers. It was like a thank you, uh, like a thank you teachers event. Um, and I like swung by to say hello. And someone, uh, I was trying to get, you know, everyone's attention <laughs> and someone was like, why don't you use your teacher voice? And um, <laughs> I said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, really loud because the teachers that I had um, watched and observed and learned from used that phrase a lot to get everyone's attention. And uh, after the event, this, this young kid came up to me and said, um, Mr. Buttigieg, would you mind if I gave you a little feedback? And uh, of course, it was kind of funny coming from like a 13-year-old. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, um, absolutely, please. And they said, um, you know, when you tried to get everyone's attention, you said, ladies and gentlemen. And I just think, you know, in 2020, Maybe you shouldn't use such gendered language like that. Maybe you could say like, hey, everybody, or can I get everyone's attention? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, you are so right. Thank you so much for calling that to my attention. And I have been extremely mindful of that phrase ever since that kid approached me. And they did it in such a sweet way because I think they knew I could benefit from it and they wanted me to be better. They wanted me to be better because they saw me as an ally and they wanted me to be, they wanted me to be a better ally. And it wasn't like, Hey, Mr. Buttigieg, you're a failure to the queer community. And let me tell you why <laughs> it was, um, would you mind if I give you a little feedback because I know you're trying to help me and I do want your help. Right. And that yeah. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I guess, and this one, you know, I don't have an answer to this one for myself. First of all, thanks for telling that story. And, and second of all, um, what if, you know, what happens? And I mean, this is a question that I, it's like, I don't know the answer to this. What happens when somebody is so fired up, it feels like an issue so personal that, that no one is listening to them. And the only thing they can do is they yell. What, hmm. where would you suggest that that person take that energy? Do you have an answer to that? Because I, I don't, I mean, you know, for me, I think about, you know, a rally or I think about like, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But yeah, I mean, there's so many ways we could answer that. And, you know, look, I, I think if I would have felt more welcomed to like be politically active when I was young and I felt so fired up about something, I can understand being in that position where it just felt like nobody hears me, no one sees me, no one values me, no one loves me. I can't do. Doing, and you're doing something to take that away from me that like all you want to do is yell. You know, how many times have we watched this current administration and wanted to yell, right? Like how many times we daydream about what we would say <laughs> if we were face to face Absolutely. with some of those people. I mean... But, you know, it, it just depends on the situation. Like there are many times where I would be in like a very hostile situation 
Um, but like, I always fell back on my teacher training. Like I taught middle school, I taught, <laughs> you know, and, and not to like poke fun at people. I just always thought about like, well, when I'm like face to face with a kid and they're really angry at me, I know that's not about me. It's about something else. There's something else happening. We just got to get to the root of that. And I would like be face to face with someone who was like so angry and it just be like, I could try, right? Like, Hey, just tell me, like, take a deep breath and, and tell me like, what's up? Like, I'm here to listen. And sometimes I think people were so taken aback because I listened and we're so used to people just not listening. Um, uh, or, you know, you're, you're in a rush, you're trying to get in a car, they scream something really mean at you. And, um, like the team's pulling you and you have to get out of there and the security guy's telling you like you have to leave but like this person is clearly so worked up and you know I would say something like um even if you're not for my husband I know I hope that you will know we will always be for you and listen I just like hope at least they like felt like I tried like I, I, I'm trying um sometimes people will just like show up with like a like a poster board you know and like just pick at us and like the organizer and me would be like you know i bet your candidate would really appreciate you like hitting the phones or like knocking on the doors and talking to voters instead of like standing here and yelling at me but <laughs> you know um there's not one perfect answer to that that question and I guess it always it was just like you had to feel it out in the moment and then there were some times where it was just like my physical safety was at risk and so I couldn't talk to people but you know sometimes great things came from those conversations where if you could like both take a deep breath and say like okay tell me what's up and they'd be like well here's how I see it and then you could be like well you know this is what my husband's campaigning on or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or it'd be like, Oh, you just saw a conspiracy theory on Twitter. And like, that's not true at all. Like, let me tell you what actually happened. And then they'd be like, Oh, that's crazy. You know, I'd have a good chuckle. It's just like always, always different. Um, but in all of it, it required a lot of patience and a lot of love for other people because um, I tried my best at the end of the day to just like, know that we all want what's best for one another and maybe some people just see it a little bit differently in a way like how to approach politics but you know I, I don't know I'm just I'm just there to help and yeah I, I think this <laughs> I think you know I think some of what I'm hearing and what you're saying and and we can this is a perfect is is that it's just it is complicated to um these are complicated questions some of what I hear is that the work is to try to take things seriously, but not personally, which is the work you know, for me to yeah. take things seriously, but not personally. And, um, and I just, I think these are, I think these are the, I think these are the really tough. I think these are the really tough issues, especially within our community. Like not outside of our community, but within our community, how do we take things seriously, but not personally? Um, or how do we be serious about the things that are personal to us? I really appreciate you trying to answer those questions because it's, yeah. it's tough within our community. For me, this is like, there are people I can discount and the people within our community are not those people. So that's what's right. tough. Absolutely. Like, these are the people I you know care about the most. And so yeah. I always- I think it's really worth looking at like, who's willing to have the conversation. And are people even willing to have the conversation in the first place? Because I know a lot of people who would, you know, happily like hide behind their keyboard and their Twitter. But like, I want to see you out there actually doing the work. And I want to see you out there showing up for people. Um, and at least inviting the conversation and not just always commenting on it. Um, and whether that's like putting your money where your mouth is and like donating to organizations or showing up to work for organizations, volunteer for organizations, making space, mentoring, um, you know, advocating. Uh, but it's not enough to just always be commenting on other people. Like you got to show up for one another too. And I felt like in the campaign, a majority of the work that I was proud of was just showing up and listening. Well, thank you so much for, uh, internet showing up today. 
And I want to send you of back course. into your day, but I want to ask you to shout out a queero, which is person place oh you feel like you could be who you are today. Um, I had a professor in college, so I transferred to the University of Wisconsin Eau Claire and uh, had never had really like a mentor. Um, and very early on, I had this wonderful um, advisor. Um, late one night, I was leaving the theater department and she was like, I'm going to send you home with some stuff. And uh, she sent me home with a copy of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And I came back the next day and I was like, I think you know something about me. And she has been like, she's been like a lifelong mentor. So Jennifer Chapman, my advisor uh, at UW Eau Claire, um, made so much time and space for me. Um, and I, I, I owe her a lot of credit. Awesome. Well, what's up? Shout out. And um, thanks so much again. Thank you.